Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode of Stuff They Don't Want You To Know is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select gaming monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. You don't take yada yada in life. Don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. It's our weekly strange news segment, and we've got some pretty interesting ones today. Uh, gentlemen, we have not talked about this off air Uh, I think we roughly know the stories we want to bring to everyone's attention, uh, but we didn't talk about where we would like to begin. I, you know, Matt, I almost want to start with your story today because, well, this is a little selfish. It confirms we were right in an earlier episode. Sure. Yeah, we, we can get started here. Is everybody down for a little murder in the morning or whenever you're listening to this? We're I love a good <laughs> cup of murder in the morning, Matt. Okay, cool. Well, guess what? We're diving straight in. This isn't our main story that I'm going to be reading from right now. This is setting up the story. Okay, everybody ready? Yes, sir. It's, yeah, go for it's it. It's from CBS News. It's a story that was posted in January 2011. The headline is, California Police Desperate to Identify Murder Victim in 1969 Cold Case. Now, in here, let's just give you the the rundown. A woman was found murdered. She was in a ditch in Huntington Beach, California in 1968. And she was considered just a Jane Doe from that point up until 2020. And she, um, in 2011, that the reason this article came out, uh, somebody came forward and recognized a sketch of her and said, oh, I know her. I think her name's Rosie. She was a friend of mine. I knew her from back in the day. She worked at this place 
called the circus room and she was a waitress there and, but I can't remember her last name. It was something I, I don't know. So they were going off of this information in 2011, attempting to, to identify this person in 1968, when she was found by a few boys, she had been sexually assaulted and beaten and her throat had been slashed and there was a cigarette butt that was left near the body and there was some blood on her and in 1968 all this evidence was collected right the cigarette butt uh, blood that was on this person this Jane Doe as well as uh, several other, there was a sexual assault kit that was prepared for her. So all of this evidence was taken and put away as they were attempting to identify who attacked this person, who this person was, and really there was no information. Up until the early 2000s, when there was a DNA sample that was viable, that they were able to identify the DNA itself, right? They've got They've got the DNA of somebody, but they have no idea who it matches to. So there were attempts to find out, but there were no databases that contained this DNA. And that's one of the one of the main parts of this story. When there has been a murder or any other crime and there is a DNA sample that is available, you run it, you get a profile of that DNA. This is essentially the, the representation of a single human being, the code that's inside that DNA. The way that authorities match that DNA up to somebody is they search through massive databases. The problem is the only DNA that they can look at are inside databases that are associated with crimes, with criminal offenses generally. And there are a few other public databases that are available where individuals like us and you submit their DNA profile to something like this, like a Jed match. That's uh, one of the one of the places online where you can submit your genetic profile. So this shows us uh, that despite the current drawbacks of this sort of forensic investigation, because of the relative newness of DNA testing in this regard, this shows us that there is enormous potential to close cold cases. I believe we talked about this in a previous episode on the original Night Stalker, right, Matt? Yes, we did. We we talked about it with the original Night Stalker, who then was dubbed the Golden State Killer, who was apprehended through this process. And it's pretty fantastic. The, the whole Monster of the Zodiac Killer show was based on the fact that there was a DNA sample that this process may be able to be used on, and then a killer identified. Um, and there are so many cases now being solved through this practice. I just want to jump back into the forensic genealogy bit. One more moment here. We're talking about those public databases. So the way this actually functions, depending on the type of DNA that is recovered, you can run essentially a family tree by identifying a far off relative of whoever your suspect or your victim's DNA matches to, which is crazy. It might be a great, great, great grandmother. It might be a like third cousin twice removed that you've never met. Yeah, exactly. Or that's, that this person never even interacted with, but you might get a match with that person because that's the only other person in that database that is close. That is at all linked to your DNA sample that you're testing. And through that system, that's how they got the Golden State Killer. It was a, a distant relative that then they mapped back through with these forensic genealogists who discovered, okay, well, here is the one person within this family tree that was in that area at the time and matched up with age and a couple other details about the suspect that they thought they would be looking for. So anyway, let's, let's jump back to our Jane Doe from 1968. We're going to jump back to a local news story that came out late last month from KTLA 5. Uh, that's a local news station in California. So the headline here is Orange County's oldest Jane Doe cold case solved with aid of genetic genealogy. And it's a crazy story. Kind of mentioned it up top there that they had these pieces of evidence with DNA on them. They got profiles of both Jane Doe and the killer from this evidence, and then through genetic genealogy very recently, they were able to identify both. 
they were able to identify the victim as 26-year-old at the time, Anita Louise Pitou of Augusta, Maine. They were able to also match up the evidence with a suspect by the name of Johnny Crisco, which I have to say is the most murdery sounding name I think I've ever heard. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Yes. Johnny Crisco, the suspected killer, passed away in 2015, I believe. Yeah, he died of cancer. And according to this, he's buried in Washington State. Uh, Again, it's difficult in this kind of case because you can say yes that his dna was on her but that's your only evidence at least currently that's the only evidence they have to match this guy johnny crisco to this homicide and i'm interested to to see how you guys think about this um you know the idea of justice when the killer has passed away it's more about closure i think for the, the the family members still living right i would say it's the closest thing you can get to closure knowing what actually happened. Yeah, and I I think there's an enormous precedent that we need to highlight here. This is one of the first cases where both the victim and the attacker were identified via this mechanism, this process. I think another point of enormous value here is that this is going to function as an example, a proof of concept for a lot of people who have cold cases sitting on the shelves. I mean, without doing a full episode on it, uh, I think most of our listeners would be astonished by how many sexual assault kits, sometimes called rape kits, have yet to be tested and are just languishing somewhere. It's easier to bring justice to these cases than ever before. That's probably one of the most positive effects of widespread DNA capturing. There was another uh, case that just recently occurred in Minnesota where a cold case had been solved or they had found the suspect uh, through DNA testing. And, you know, I, I know we probably don't want to get too far into it, but like we said in those earlier episodes, this is what we're seeing is the beginning of a wave I think if this kind of testing continues and it should, then we're going to see many, many more cold cases be solved. The question is, to your point, Noel, will these be solved while the attackers and the victims are still alive? Mm. Mm. Absolutely. And, and, and is, isn't this also kind of one of those things where there's like a double edged sword effect kind of to this, these kinds of databases? We've talked about it in the past, how. You know, on the one hand, this is obviously a really positive outcome from this and things like the, the you know, the Golden State Killer and all that being solved. But there there are some privacy concerns, you know, for regular individuals. Maybe you don't have anything to hide as well. Some. Yeah. yeah. I know. I just, but I mean, is it worth it? Is, 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 the, is the balance out of whack? Like, this is obviously amazing and, and a really positive result. But it is kind of an all or nothing approach for, for these types of systems to work. You know, if people are opting out or it's like, you know, just a little smattering of folks, you know, that are in the system, it's not going to be nearly as uh, effective. I would agree that. For law enforcement and solving crimes like this, it would be amazing if every human being on the planet was in a database like that. Um, But, (laughs) okay, I mean, (laughs) okay, all right. So here, here is the reality of the situation. You'll notice I was being very careful to say this is one of the biggest positive effects of massive, uh, massive levels of data capturing, DNA capturing, and uh, propagation, right? Information sharing of those databases. As it stands now, as this industry, and it is very much an industry, stands now, it is easy to argue that it's worth it. However, this industry is evolving. This industry is a, you know, often a, a, it's a largely private industry that is used by public institutions like law enforcement, but we're not very far away from a world in which a DNA test uh, that you did not consent to, just somebody related to consented to, has a dangerous and lasting effect on your life. Imagine if you are getting your first job, maybe you're a teenager, and you start working at your local 
uh, boomerang outlet or whatever. You're in a town where boomerangs are enormously popular. You get a job with this boomerang depot. That's what they call it. Uh, you're at the boomerang depot and you get for the first time the opportunity for employer provided health insurance. However, the private health insurance company has a pretty good DNA profile of you because someone you're related to from both your mother's side and then from your father's side uh, at some point submitted their DNA to one of these uh, capturing facilities, these archiving facilities, these services. And then these services, somewhere along the line, sold information about that DNA profile to a privatized insurance company, and it turns out that you have a uh, statistically higher likelihood of insert uh, medical condition here that the insurance company thinks will be just too expensive to pay for. Therefore, you, your existence, because of your DNA, you are a pre-existing condition. And then you will not, because of something you did not consent to, you will not be able to get insurance. That's a walk down the street, but it's not a very far walk. No, no, it's not. But I mean, you know, the whole pre-existing condition argument is is in and of itself a very a separate topic, right? Like whether or not that's fair to to you know hold people accountable for pre-existing conditions when they're when they're getting coverage. Um, so those things would certainly have to reconcile with one another. But you're absolutely right. There's so many there. There are circumstances we haven't even thought about yet as to how this could be problematic. Um, but it is nice to see some uh, positive net result from, you know, something that is kind of a little bit scary and sort of this murky future where we don't really know the the, the boundaries between public and private. Just as a counterpoint, you guys, if let's go back to that same scenario with the boomerang depot let's say you don't get that job but you do find out because of the extensive genetic profiles of your relatives that oh wait you have a higher likelihood of this type of cancer and now you go in and get a test oh and you catch it early hey good on you good on the system for for knowing more about us uh, than we do so i don't know there there are positives there for that kind of thing um but I, I certainly am a bit nervous about the widespread capturing of DNA and, and large databases. The The good thing is Ancestry, 23andMe, and a lot of these services that are private at the moment do not share that information, your information, when you send it in to them with any authorities, with any other group, at least as a policy currently. Um, and their terms of service can change at any time. They can. They certainly can, and you know that would be on them if they chose to to go that route. But it, in the end, it's on you on whether or not you want to submit your DNA willingly to somebody. But it's not really. That's the problem. It's not really on you. In, in several years, it will no longer be your decision. Uh, and and of course, catch these criminals and bring them to justice. I think it is an important. Thing I think it's it's a mandatory action for our species. We have to do this, and DNA testing in this way gives us the ability to solve crimes that otherwise would have remained unsolved. I feel like the the badger is out of the bag. We have to do that. We just also have to keep our eye on the next steps in this uh, with this technology because they're coming, man. They're coming. The money's too good. I agree. And just to close it out, let's jump back to Anita's story that we started with, kind of going back to what you were saying, Noel. This is from the KTLA article. Anita was found to be one of seven children. She was found to have two living sisters and a brother, as well as many extended relatives, who had been searching for her since she vanished in 1968. Remember, there's family in Maine. They're far away. She was in California. When she went missing in 1968, they were never able to locate her, and the authorities in California had an unnamed Jane Doe uh, there as, as the case that they were looking at. And somehow, for that long, for over 50 years, that connection was not made to that family, but they were able, that family was able to know that's what happened to Anita. And I think that's one of the major benefits, that's the it's not closure, but that's at least the silver lining to all of this. And 
the investigation has not been completed because, like I said, this is one piece of evidence that they have connecting this guy Johnny Crisco to Anita, and they still want to know what happened. Was there a motive? Did these two know each other? Any any information right now, if you have info about this case, you can call the Huntington Beach tip line. It is 714-375-5066. So if you have any info, give that number a call and uh, help that family out. Because you can't put a price on closure. That's something we need to remember in, in a world so often consumed by profit. Hmm. It's true. And with that, let's head to commercial and we'll be right back with some more really strange news. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real, live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. Oh, my friends love it. I love that it's kid-safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! (laughs) Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iheart radio's iheart country radio discover more shows and movies for free what up everyone it's lunchbox from the bobby bone show and i'm here to tell you the national sales event is on at your toyota dealer making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive. You can count on your new Camry to get you anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. All right, we're back. Um, today, I, I have a strange news uh, article I'd like to put forth, if you gentlemen uh, would, would agree. I shall take you up on this offer. Okay, okay. Well, then I've uh, got one for you that I think is very much in the old school conspiracy wheelhouse. Uh, new photo reignites speculation over Loch Ness Monster. Oh, boy. Yeah, reported in the New York Post, um, uh, the Daily Mirror, a bunch of other sources. This is from back from last month, but as first I'd heard of it, and I, and I would uh, hazard a guess that, that it may have uh, flown under some other folks' radar as well. Uh, but a photograph taken in Scotland has started people chattering again about the existence of, of old Nessie, that uh, under-the-sea uh, creature that supposedly lurks beneath the the placid waters of Loch Ness there in Scotland. Uh, A tourist, an English tourist by the name of Steve Chalice, claims to have shot uh, an image, um, an overhead image 
uh, of the lake uh, where you can see some kind of tree tops in the side left and then in the center, clear as day, it looks like a hump or some kind of large sea creature breaking the surface of the water. Um, it's got some kind of pretty distinct like reptilian markings or some kind of splotchy, almost ink spot type markings on its back. It's not clear if you're meant to be just seeing a portion of a larger creature or the rest of it being underwater or if it's like a whale breach or something. That, that's kind of what it looks like to me. Um, and yeah, this uh, this guy, Steve Chalice, um, reported to have seen this uh, long fish swimming by, and he snapped a few shots, uh, according to, to, to Steve. Um, and then he, he says, it only appeared in one shot, and to be honest, that was something of a fluke. I watched for a while, as you can see from the last picture, but uh, didn't see it again. Um, he said that he had just started going through these vacation photos because of coronavirus lockdown and, you know, like many other people looking for something to do to pass the time. And that's when he claims to have spotted this, uh, this one pick, which is, is interesting considering like it's, it's pretty front and center in the, in the picture. If I had seen it, I wouldn't be like, Oh my gosh, going through photos. Now all of a sudden, wow, look what I caught and didn't even realize it. Um, he, he very interestingly as well uh, says, I think it was a catfish or something like that. Or he thought it might have been like a seal or something uh, that could have gotten in from the ocean um, because he claims to not be a believer in the old Nessie myth uh, of, of old. Um, and yeah, it, it is old. It's one of Scotland's oldest enduring myths. Um, we've got, of course, one of the most classic conspiracy type photos of, you know, that silhouette of a long necked creature kind of peering above the water. Um, and it's something that is certainly driven tourism to Loch Ness. And uh, there's all kinds of merch and things surrounding that. Uh, probably a great boon to the local economy there, I would imagine. Um, what do you guys think? What, what, what is your earliest memory of, of the Loch Ness monster? Uh, fellas I cannot remember the specific place where I encountered it the first time all I can remember is that the mystery of possibly a dinosaur or some other creature like that existing made me so badly want to find it and also to believe that that kind of thing was possible that there could be something out there that is unknown that is ready to be discovered or has been discovered and is hiding Oh my gosh, that it that story of Nessie and Bigfoot actually, those two stories were huge for me as a kid just to give I I guess to give me that sense of wonder about something might be real and then of course it all shifted to angels and demons and <laughs> maybe that's real. And that was just my upbringing. But well, uh, <laughs> well, what what is reality? Okay, sorry, that's that's an unfair direction to take this. Um, I was interested that you categorize this as, as old school uh, Stuff They Don't Want You Know, because Stuff They Don't Want You Know has always and will always be about this kind of this kind of stuff. Uh, I think my... I, no, yeah. I, I, I just meant old school conspiracy thinking. Like, oh, this is I got one you. Of the, yeah. One of the staples mm -hmm. of like conspiracy culture is Nessie, oh, yeah. Bigfoot, you know, Roswell. the Greys, yeah. Roswell, all yeah, of this. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. yeah, so I have talked about this perhaps on air before or with some with some of our fellow listeners on social media. Uh I am a big fan of Time Life, uh, Time Life's <laughs> Mysteries of the Unknown. It was a uh, gotta catch them all kind of thing for me growing up. And I'm holding, you can't see it because this is audio right now, but I'm holding a book called Mysterious Creatures. Uh, I can't remember, I was very tiny when I got this, uh, but that what books like this were some of my introductions to the concept of large cryptids or, you know, relic proposed relic populations. And I went pretty hard on the paint for a child with the, the Nessie stuff because I wanted to learn everything I could about, you know, a plesiosaur, about the depth and any seasonal variation in Loch Ness. It is very deep. That's true. Um, but yeah, I, I have been thinking about that for years and years and years. And at an early age, I know this is such a bummer, 
at an early age, although I was still very much one of those, I want to believe people. I just, the compromise I made in my mind was that so far, every photograph of the Loch Ness or every photograph purporting to be a, uh, a picture of the Loch Ness Monster was at the very least misidentified or a hoax. I wasn't ready to say it didn't exist, but I was I was able to say, you know, if we're being honest, this is also around the time, you know, when I when I was like, all right, Santa Claus is this huge conspiracy. It goes all the way to the top. All the adults are lying to you. Santa's not real. Uh, the Loch Ness Monster, I'm not ready to give that one up, though, because I've never been to Scotland, but I think all the photos are fake. But to be fair, Noel, I would ask you to the same thing. Was this, was your experience similar to that of Matt's and my own? Yeah, it was something that always really fascinated me. I remember, I think I went to Loch Ness when I was a very small child. I, I, my mom was an opera singer and we lived in Europe um, up until I was six. And so I would travel around with her to different, you know, gigs that she had. And I have a very distinct memory of, of getting one of those Tam O'Shanter hats, you know, is that what they called with the, the plaid, you know, and it was at Loch Ness and I had some kind of kids picture book about Nessie and in it, it talked about the conspiracy angle of it. And I remember being fascinated by it. And, and as you know, from our story about sea, sea monsters, you know, uh, and all of that, and some of my weird, vivid dreams about floating in a sea, you know, with hidden monsters under the surface, it kind of caught my imagination in a bit of a freaky way, honestly. Like, it's something that's always kind of, like, been a little bit of a um, nightmare fuel for me, the idea of, like, this secret underwater creature. But yeah, no, it's it's certainly been something that I've just always kind of been aware of. Um, and, I, and I do remember getting that book when I was really young. But it's a real shame, though, Ben, because you're right. I mean, every picture seems to have been debunked. And unfortunately, this one's no different. Um, when the guy very casually tossed off the idea that this <laughs> might have been a catfish, he wasn't kidding. He seemed to be pointing to a little wink and a nod to the... Uh, Pretty cool Photoshop job that he or, or someone else did. I'm a little confused as to what this guy's motivations were, um, this, this tourist, uh, Steve Chalice. But another article on sciencealert.com headline is, there's a new photo circulating of the Loch Ness Monster, but guess what? Surprise, surprise, it, it, it does appear to have been doctored. Um, it first appeared in mid-June of this year in a Facebook group. And it was posted by this guy, Steve, uh, who, was the, who was the founder of the group. And he claims that he took it when he visited Loch Ness. But upon further examination by some intrepid uh, Twitterers, they actually were able to match it. Uh, they, somebody thought that him saying catfish was a little catfishy. Uh, so they actually Googled this picture of this incredible, which this should be the story in and of itself, 286-pound catfish posted on Angling Times, uh, the Twitter account. And it's this dude holding this monstrous catfish, uh, a guy by the name of Benjamin Grunder, who, who caught the fish. And apparently catfish pigmentation patterns uh, on their back, those kind of ink, ink spot speckle patterns that I talked about seeing in the picture, are like snowflakes or fingerprints. They're they're super duper unique to each individual. And somebody on Twitter by the name of Bailey at Supa Flyall posted a side by side comparison circling the uh, the pattern on the back of the monster catfish and the same pattern on the back of the supposed Nessie. Yes. And and the supposed Nessie image has been color corrected. There, you know, I'm not sure how many pictures of that catfish were taken, the original one, but there's been some some modeling, essentially some distortion of the original photograph. If it is indeed that photograph, you can definitely see the workings of, of Photoshop at play here. I agree. First off, the catfish are amazing. I was getting really into I was getting really into ichthyology uh, last night. Actually, it kept me Ooh. from doing some homework. Yeah, this is this is a true story. I am going to uh, share with you guys a picture I would like you I would like you to see. I'm just gonna, yeah, okay. So I have sent you guys a picture, an image in the chat, and 
I just want to see your reactions when you open this up. This is a real picture. It looks like somebody had an accident while they had on the most extreme aquatic leggings that I've ever seen. Whoa. Holy crap. Are, are, is this like a skin graft situation? This is, this is a tilapia skin graft on a human being. We can put fish skin on people, you guys. We have been able to do this for a long time. I would categorize this as thanks. I hate it. Uh, but my, uh, but yeah, so this you put this on burn victims. It's called a xenograft. And then the it, it eventually becomes human flesh again. But uh it's weird that you're, we're talking about Loch Ness Monster because the place my brain immediately went and what I spent some time researching last night was whether it's possible to do the opposite of this, to graft human skin on a fish. I don't have the answers. I'm just thinking of aquatic monsters. And really, I don't mean to derail this. I just needed some kind of semi-reasonable opportunity to share this with you guys because otherwise I would have just been texting you pictures of fish skin people at like 8.30 last night. You know, this is the closest real world version of us getting to Thulu and the old <laughs> ones that we've ever gotten on this show. <laughs> Matt, uh, Ben, have you guys played Breath of the Wild, the, the newest uh, Zelda game? Mm -hmm. I have not. Uh, I've been playing it lately. I know, I know, Ben, you were a big fan of Skyrim. And if you like Skyrim, boy, howdy, you're going to love Breath of the Wild. But this is a thing in Zelda tradition in, in general, or like in the Zelda, what's the Pantheon or uh, whatever. But there's a race of aquatic dwelling humanoids in the Zelda series called the Zora. Uh, and this, this remind this makes me think of like, kind of like, okay, what would the Zora look like, you know, in uh, live action or whatever. Also reminds me of uh, the shape of water creature quite a bit. Yeah, please, in the crowd, fellow listeners, if you are ichthyologists, if you are experts somehow in skin grafts, inquiring minds want to know, can you graft human skin onto a fish? This has already messed up my search history to a possibly irreparable degree, <laughs> but I, I, I still don't know. Also with Loch Ness Monster, one photo that's not faked that I, I think is, I, I don't know, I, I enjoy it, uh, is any photo of Adrian Shine. He is a Loch Ness expert. Uh, he's done a lot of research on this, and he looks like a candidate for the world's most interesting man. He's most of the time he's in this really cool tweed three-piece suit. He's got this epic like mariner beard. Um, I just want to hang out with that guy. You know what I mean? I want to go hunt the Loch Ness monster with him. And I, let's do it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm uh, super envious, Noel. Uh, next time you go to Loch Ness, take us with you. Dude, I haven't been out of the country since I was like five, man. Like, I, I, you, you, you know, uh, travel a lot domestically back, you know, when that was a thing people did. But no, I, I haven't even had a valid passport since I was a little kid. So I got to get on that once the world returns back to some semblance of normalcy. I'm going to take that as a cue to get me on a plane and, and back to Loch Ness. Maybe we can make it a group trip. What do you say? Yes. Get yeah. on a plane. Say get yes. Get out of town. Say yesy to the Nessie. And there you have it. If you are in Scotland, if you have a picture of the Loch Ness Monster that you feel is legit, please send it our way. Yes. And make sure to note if you actually got a picture or maybe you were just tripping and seeing things. There we go. That's the segue we were looking for. We'll be back after a word from our sponsor. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. 
I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. There's plenty to celebrate in March and Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Hey guys, Rob Parker here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like the rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with the new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a Toyota truck you buy Toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com Toyota, let's go places Our final story today may be a bit controversial for some people, many of our fellow listeners over the years, over the YouTube days have written in about this I'd love to shout out all the YouTube commenters who would drop by regardless of what we're talking about in an episode and say, oh my gosh, I'm tripping We see you. I don't know if you were, but I hope you had a, a safe and great time. And so does the government of Canada, because they have recently announced that they are going to allow terminal patients to use psilocybin therapy. Yes, that means what you think. Uh, the, to legally use magic mushrooms to help mitigate the pain and depression associated with, uh, you know, with having a terminal illness. This is something that's been controversial often in the West because there, there's increasingly robust, compelling science that psychedelic mushrooms do have a medicinal effect. You know what I mean? It's, they can be more than simply a recreational experience for folks. However, as part of it here in the US, at least as part of the war on drugs, they were classed with things like cocaine or heroin, or they were treated that way by society, right? If you are a fan of one of our peer podcasts, Stuff to Blow Your Mind, then you can find an excellent series that they have done on psilocybin. We've explored it in the past. There are interesting out there theories that attribute uh, the formation of religion to early human experiences with psilocybin. And the government of Canada has finally caught up. Uh, the Minister of Health, one Patty Hodgdu, has approved, I guess you'd call it the medicinal use, right? It's still not recreational. They're not saying you can go to your local boomerang depot and also buy magic mushrooms for some boomerang fun. They're just saying this can be used as a medicine and Lori Brooks, who is one of the four first patients to receive this treatment, 
said in a statement with a nonprofit organization she's been working with called Therapeutic Psilocybin, uh, said that this was more than just getting a medication. This felt like an acknowledgement of the actuality of the pain and anxiety that she has been suffering from. Uh, We know that some U.S. cities have decriminalized psilocybin or the mushrooms. Those cities would be Oakland, Portland, Denver. And right now, the FDA is still thinking over whether or not it's going to approve some sort of derivative of magic mushrooms as an antidepressant. So with this in mind, I know we've talked about this a little bit in the past. What do you guys think? Do you believe that, uh, do you believe that psilocybin should be legalized, should be decriminalized, should be used as a medicine? I mean, where in the spectrum do we fall of legality? I say yes, 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 and more yes to all of that. Yeah. Look, it's so available. Like I know plenty of people that uh, either grow them themselves, you know, uh, you can get kits online and all that, not to, you know, promote doing anything illegal. But uh, there's a practice called microdosing where people will just take a little bit, not enough to quote unquote trip but like enough to change your headspace just enough to like, you know, um, sort of reframe your thinking about negativity a little bit. And and it's just a a way that a lot of people have found much success in sort of altering their mood, but not in like a, I want to get messed up kind of way. Um, it's a, it's an ancient substance that, that has had, you know, broad application throughout history. And I think the fact that it's lumped in with things like heroin and cocaine and and ecstasy as as simply a party drug is just inherently kind of bogus. There's so much research on it. There's so much, you know, uh, data showing the efficacy of it as something that can really help people cope with everything from end of life situations to just things like depression. And it's absolutely used in some experimental therapies uh, now, I think more than ever. And it's been decriminalized, I think in uh, Colorado, I believe has completely decriminalized it. And there's certainly yeah, a Oakland, call for that. Portland to, and, mm-hmm. Col- and yeah. Denver, Colorado. Exactly. And I, then I think there's a lot of, uh, of groundswell support for bringing that, Elsewhere, yes, I, I would just reiterate that this substance appears to have such beneficial effects for those suffering from the things we've already talked about here, as well as PTSD. Anyone who is going through something over and over and over again in in their lives, taking the substance appears, at least through clinical trials, it appears to show that this can help them get past that essentially or cope with. Uh, PTSD. And and I would, you know, I would just hope that all of us listening can realize in these instances when there is a substance that is controlled like this that does seem to have beneficial effects for few people, that we would all be able to recognize that that would, that is a beneficial thing for science and, um, for practitioners of science and medicine to be able to have access to that kind of substance. Um, whether or not you believe it should be, you know, decriminalized or legalized or anything like that, I, I think that's something that hopefully all of us can recognize. Yeah, I think it's a very responsible way to look at it there, Matt. Uh, one thing that I, I also feel like we should emphasize, you know what's bad for your mental health? Getting arrested and going to jail. So, you know, as unjust as drug laws are, they are still enforced, right, in many, many places. The idea here of being able to give someone any sort of balm uh, in, in these tremendously difficult situations, it's not new to the government of Canada by any means. As a matter of fact, Aldous Huxley, the author of Brave New World, chose uh, chose to go out under the influence of psychedelics. By go out, I mean pass away. He was tripping when uh, when he expired, and it was by his choice. I think this is a it's a powerful tool, but it also makes me wonder how much uh, scientific progress and important research we as a society have restricted because we decided 
um, for one method or another, for, you know, good intentions or ulterior motives, we decided not to research various possibilities, right? And we know that the FDA has put out drugs that later turn out to be very bad. They don't always get it right. Uh, but here in the U.S., they've held off on things that could have real, quantitative, measurable medical benefits. I'm interested to follow this story in Canada because I want to hear about the experience of first these four terminally ill patients. I want to see uh, if they encounter that great commonality we hear about. This isn't so much a, a psilocybin thing, but you guys recall in our earlier DMT conversations, there is what seems to be a stunning correlation of experience, right? People take DMT, they speak with these machine elves of some sort they've been described as. Uh, they have a lot of things that are parallel to perhaps a, an abduction experience in the world of UFOs. But I, I don't know. So it sounds like we all think this should be legal. This should at least be something people are able to get for mental health or for uh, recovery from PTSD or for end-of-life treatment. We also should say, and this is incredibly important, no one is saying, look, you have a problem or a condition, just take a ton of magic mushrooms and get back to me after you've listened to the discography of fish. They're saying, take these in step with a therapy program. So you'll be speaking to uh, a therapist, a psychotherapist of some sort. I myself have never experienced uh, that kind of uh, that kind of treatment. Um, I don't know how it would proceed. But another thing that's interesting here, to your point, Noel, is we're seeing the normalization of psilocybin. Microdosing is rampant. If you're, you know, maybe I'm stereotyping here, but I feel like if you're in Southern California and you've lived there for a while, you've ran into someone who is microdosing. You didn't notice because they weren't mm -hmm. acting weird. Right. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it really is just kind of like a slight mood enhancement that you bar barely perceptible. Uh, sort of the way if you think of like antidepressants that work well, you don't really feel them. You know, it's just sort of like, okay, your head shifts, your head space shifts a little bit. And maybe it allows you to uh, break the cycle of negative self-talk or, you know, cut out some of those uh, negative internal voices that tell you you're not worthwhile in some way. I mean, that's something that people absolutely struggle with and that can be a real distraction in just getting things done. Um, so anyway, I, I think this is a really great story and uh, it's really nice to see a lot of that normalization, which I think is coming on the heels of cannabis normalization uh, and legalization. Hey, I want to bring up here, we were, we were talking about Oregon there. So in the election coming up in November this year, residents of Oregon are going to get to vote on an, on an initiative to legalize this kind of therapeutic psilocybin. It feels very familiar to the first initiatives that were put out there to have marijuana used in medical way, right? Um, just a fun little fact here. Do you guys remember a company called Dr. Bronner's? Uh-huh. Like the Castile soap? Of course. The with, magic. The, with, with the very tiny uh, printing on the back that tells a very weird story about the <laughs> founding of this company? Yeah. Um, so on the little sidebar of one of these articles, the Rolling Stone article... Uh, ben, that you shared for this, there is a tiny little story here about how Dr. Bronner's has donated $1 million to Oregon's mushroom legalization efforts. Not a spoiler, <laughs> though. I mean, that's not a big plot twist for old Doc B. <laughs> I just imagine, I'm trying to imagine if they would add something extra to their bottles now that describes the magic of the mushrooms. Oh, dangerous. <laughs> that's a dangerous idea. Uh, that's something that someone opposed to this kind of legalization or normalization could just run wild with. So policymakers, you did not hear that from <laughs> You didn't hear that. No, no, uh, no, 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 no. Now I'm glad we were able to make space for this story today because I think it's important for us to remember that despite all the chaotic, strange, and terrifying things happening in the world today, which will continue to happen, by the way. We're not out of the woods yet. Uh, despite all those things, there are still 
positive steps being made in all sorts of human endeavors. And this is one of those. We are, we are increasingly allowing science to shout down politics. And I think that's an important thing to steal a line from Fox News now more than ever. And also part of this clearly, uh, now that I think about it, is directly related to the problems of reopening schools here in Georgia, which is a story for another day. But talk about science versus politics. Jeez. Yikes. Yeah. You know what else is a story for another day? Hmm. Jake Paul of YouTube and all the other platform fame uh, having his mansion raided by the FBI recently. Oh, what? <gasps> mm-hmm. Oh, a story for another day. Or that explosion in Beirut. <laughs> oh, my God. We didn't even talk about that. Holy cow. Yeah, that's a, that one's nuts. And the fact that without, like, I don't know, just very little preamble, uh, the president just kind of indicated, yeah, it's definitely a bomb. Uh, we have no evidence pointing to that. It, it apparently was a an abandoned cache of what was it? Ammonium, Ammonium nitrate. nitrate. Yeah, oh, very volatile God. chemical. And and now, I mean, like the the there was an episode of Democracy Now that I watched that followed that story for basically the whole episode. It's really pointing to Beirut, uh, Lebanon as like a failed state and like yeah. members of parliament are like quitting or, or resigning in, in shame. And essentially their entire port is now uh, a, a, like a, a fallout zone. I mean, it's crazy. This thing made a mushroom cloud, you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I've been following this really closely. It makes me miss the original strange news daily because then I kind of just you know, been there every day with this. But as we're seeing this develop, ah, I know a story for another day, but our hearts go out to those who have lost loved ones in this situation. The full death count is not known and probably won't be for a little while. Over 300,000 people are suddenly just rendered homeless. Uh, the ammonium nitrate was next to a fireworks factory. Right now, they still don't know the cause of the explosion. Rumors are running wild, but everybody in the area, please stay safe. Uh, let us know if you have experienced this, if you are from Lebanon, or if you were close enough to feel and hear the explosion, which was, you know, people registered the explosion in Cyprus, not through scientific equipment. They were just walking around. That's how big it was. Wow. We want to, we want to hear from you. Do you have a real picture of the Loch Ness Monster? We're not going to throw it away. Like, I, I don't know about you guys. I want to see a real one. I have for most of my life. Uh, do you have another story of a cold case solved by the latest in DNA forensics? Do you have medical experience with psilocybin? Is there something that you feel the average listener needs to know about the role of psychedelics in the world of medicine? Let us know. You can find us all over the internet. We have made an entire episode every week just to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook where we are Conspiracy Stuff. On Instagram, we are at Conspiracy Stuff Show. You can find us individually if you'd like. Yes, on Instagram, you can find me at How Now Noel Brown. And that's pretty much where I hang out. You can find me at Ben Bolin HSW on Twitter. You can find me at Ben Bolin on Instagram. And you can find me, Matt Frederick underscore iHeart, on Instagram. If you want, you can use that telephone that you've got there to call us. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. Hope you said it with me as I said it. Uh, that's our little ritual continuing there. I heard a whisper somewhere. I, th I think that was you. That must have been you. So leave us a message. It can be up to three minutes. Do say whatever you want to say. Tell us about any of the things Ben mentioned earlier or about an episode you want to hear in the future. Anything and everything is welcome. Just give us a call. If you don't want to do that, you can leave us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. At- 